for Sober Chicks podcast listeners. This is Meredith. And as always, I'm joined by Heather, Dana, and Lisa. So we gather here from around the world to discuss all things related to alcohol addiction, sobriety, and the various paths to recovery. We get real about the highs, the lows, and the amazing reality of living a sober life. This podcast is a creative collaboration by women, for women, and for anyone who supports women. Welcome to this week's episode. Hello, everyone. This is Meredith. Welcome back. Um, So actually this week we are going to go over kind of our specific paths that we have chose as recovery coaches. Um, There's things that each of us really try to focus on and deliver in my mind, more of a specialized um, type of service when it comes to that. So I'm all about the neuroscience behind addiction, the brain chemistry, um, because for me, when I learned that in our recovery coaching, um, if I would have known that in supporting my mom through her recovery, um, I, I genuinely feel like my support would have been different because it was eye-opening for me. Um, Heather goes into using art in recovery, um, which has been a huge healer for her. Dana really focuses on the business and the corporate side and addiction in that realm. Um, and then Lisa uh, focuses on health and nutrition. Um, so all these combined, I feel like we can offer just a little snippets, um, of education, if you will, for each of the, each of the four. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and start and to start off, I'm actually going to do a quick screen share. And I know that there are people out there who are just listening to the audio. So I will try to verbally walk through these as well. Um, but if you are on the actual podcast, uh, you should be able to see these, um, these slides as we go. So bear with me. All right. So this is our brain kind of in a natural state and natural progression without any addiction. Um, So we're not addicted to drugs, porn, alcohol, like the whole nine. And and that's a big caveat that I want to throw in there is when people think of addiction and they think of brain chemistry, they only tend to think about the chemical substances. So alcohol, drugs, well, you can actually be addicted to porn um, or something that is very external um, and not something that you put into your body and your brain can actually respond in almost the same way as an internal substance. So I just wanna throw that out there because that was something that was kind of an eye-opener for me. So this is your natural progression um, of your brain based on brain, um, brain activity and blood flow, okay? So as we age, that starts to disintegrate a little bit. But on the age 50, as you can tell, the pink um, towards the front, um, that's actually the frontal lobe. Um, of our brain. So you can see that that activity is still pretty good. Um, A lot of that rear brain activity is where we start to see a lot of those holes. Now, these are not legitimate holes in the brain. This is just where there is lack of blood flow or brain activity happening. So by the age of 80, 
um, as you can see right here, we're starting to see a little bit more um, disintegration, if you will. Um, so then our next, oops, sorry, our next slide. So these are what are called spec scans. Spec scans, again, just measure that activity in a brain. This is not an MRI. This is not a PET scan. This is a completely different type of scan, but it's utilized in addiction uh, big time. And there's actually a bunch of other um, areas that they really focus on. So on the left-hand side is, this is a healthy brain scan. Brain scan. So you're gonna see the top and the bottom part. So we want smooth contours. Um, this is how our brains are supposed to look. Now on the right side, you're gonna see an unhealthy spec scan. This is showing where all the inactivity or lack of blood flow is happening to someone's brain um, due to substance abuse or alcohol. Um, so I think when I first saw these, and I'm pretty sure that these girls can attest to this, when we saw these in our recovery coaching, this blew my mind because I'd always thought that the addict had control over what was happening, but these scans actually show us a little bit different. So these are just a little bit more. The one that I really want to focus on is the one on the right. So um, this black box right here, the upper left shows someone who is 38 years old and for 17 years, they've just done heavy weekend use. Okay, so we're seeing massive holes um, in their brains. The bottom left is cocaine. They're 24 years old. They've used cocaine for two years for frequent use. You can see crazy holes in that. Uh, the middle is going to show you the top and the bottom of a normal brain. And then on the right-hand side, this is a meth user, uh, 28 years old, eight years of heavy use. Um, and then marijuana is the lower. Now, the colors are going to replicate blood flow, okay? So marijuana, you can see, is actually hardcore impeding just basic blood flow to the brain, but there's some great um, massive divots in these um, spec scans as well. So it doesn't matter. And again, this was another mind-blowing thing to me. It didn't matter if it was meth or alcohol. If you look at these two brains, the amount of inactivity and lack of blood flow is almost the same. That to me, because I had, I would always be like, oh, it's just alcohol. I mean, it's not like I'm, you know, snorting cocaine or injecting heroin or shooting up meth. It is literally almost the exact same. So this was a big visual for me. I'm a visual person. Um, so I love using this kind of stuff. Um, so like I said, did the share stop? Yes. Okay. Um, so like I said, I do definitely focus on that neuroscience end. And what I really think is important for a lot of people to understand is that addiction use really happens as you progress in increasing whatever substance that you're using. Okay. So a lot of people don't understand that our brain is one of the biggest control centers for that. So addiction occurs when there's a habitual use of a substance or multiple substances. And it's actually a way that progresses because it changes the way the brain experiences pleasure, if that makes sense. So the brain is the number one reason why people fall victim to addiction. So 
when we become addicted to something, like I said, whether that's porn, drugs, alcohol, sex, our activity from our brain shifts from the brain that is actually designed to be in charge, which is the frontal lobe. And it starts to shift to the back of the brain, which is not designed to be in charge. So in our recovery coaching um, education, they actually coined this as our T-Rex brain. So our brain becomes so preoccupied with basic survival. So what it needs, what it wants, it's either eat or be eaten, mate, and then avoid or eliminate or kill anything that is actually a threat to you. So as we see activity in the brain start to move from the front of the brain, which is where all logic and reasoning is, those things, when we start to push to the back, when you hear someone say, you know, why can't you stop? Or I don't, I don't understand how you can't see what's happening. It's literally because the activity in the frontal lobe is, is not there. So they're not logistically thinking, oh my gosh, I should probably make my house payment over going and getting my next score or, oh my gosh, I can see how bad this is hurting my family. Maybe I should stop what I'm doing and really focus on them. Um, an addict chooses their vice over family work, honestly, and over everything. So from the outside, you as someone who's not addicted, think that they're making completely irrational choices, but to them, it is perfectly logical. So again, the part of their brain that does decipher the logic and reasoning has basic, minimal, minimal brain activity. And that's really when we start to see this desire circuit is what they call it, um, be hijacked. So dopamine is one of, I, I think it's a buzzword. People all know what dopamine is. Um, it is a chemical that is actually found in our brain that releases into a part of our brain which drives the feeling that we know is motivation. So when we are motivated, when we see something that we want, that is our dopamine receptor, our dopamine now kicking in. And we're all of a sudden being like, oh, okay, so I don't know when I'm going to get this next. So you should actually take it because we remember how good this makes us feel. And then you get into this circuit, this cycle. Um, Dopamine is always focused on acquiring more of everything projecting into the future. So saying, hey, I don't, I don't know when I'm going to get this again. So we're going to do it now. And you're trying to be like, if I don't get it, then in the future, I know I'm going to get it now. Um, so it makes us literally want something and want it right then and there. It doesn't matter. Um, even if we really need it at the moment, Honestly, they coined the term dopamine doesn't care. It will just kick in and your brain will actually make you want that certain thing. So this is where this dopamine reward circuit begins to force on an unconscious level. Okay, so this is something that we cannot control. We cannot control how much dopamine is being pushed out, but our addictions can actually feed that. Okay, so unconsciously, that dopamine circuit is going to push someone into a deeper addiction. The brain will gradually lose its ability to deliver the high that the addict is after. Okay, so dopamine kicks in once you get that high. As you become an addict and you do more and more, that reward circuit gets weaker and weaker 
to where you're having to consume more of the substance to create that initial high, if you will, or that initial feeling. You're constantly chasing that first time. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. When two glasses of wine didn't do it for me anymore and a full bottle did, I was like, oh, okay, my tolerance is just going up. Well, actually, my reward circuit can't keep up with that. And so my body was literally producing less and less. And I was compensating with more and more alcohol. So this is where that, um, this is where that substance increase starts to happen on that slippery slope road to addiction. So for me, I just like to focus on the fact that our brain, its job is to keep our body at homeostasis. It wants everything to be normal. Okay. So if we're impacting those levels in any way, shape or form, we are going to see consequences through that substance abuse on actually getting higher. Um, so that's kind of a very broad, um, overview of kind of that neuroscience that I love to dive into dopamine. I mean, there are amazing books on just dopamine. This is actually a book. Um, it's called the molecule of more. I don't know if you can see that. It is all about dopamine, um, whether it's love, work, addiction, um, and it basically, the tagline says how a single chemical in your brain drives love, sex, and creativity, and will determine the fate of the human race. Um, it's a phenomenal book, um, based on dopamine. So that's my little, my little thing. And Heather, I know that your, um, your artistic view of a lot of this really correlates to a lot of that brain activity. So I'm going to hand it over to you. Yeah, absolutely. So when we're living in this T-Rex brain, in the rear of our brain, when we kind of stop and try to change those cycles, we need to re-engage the brain in another way. We need to start uh, creating circulation in different, in, in a balanced way. We need to start um, bringing more of that circulation to the front, as well as, you know, we know that trauma and a lot of different things kind of actually lead people to, um, to addiction and trauma also impacts the brain and how the brain functions in the circulation and so forth. There's, there's a separation between the right and left side of the brain with trauma. And so what art does is it starts to facilitate activity in these different areas. It can help create new neural pathways that can um, kind of reduce some of those automatic neuropathways that we've created through addiction, those grooves that we've really run into. You know, I get a glass, a bottle of wine, I drink that, it makes me happy. So that's the, the, the groove that we've got into. So now we can create scenarios using art where we can tap into other emotions that are not being elicited through substances. So we can create new sources of joy, um, we can create um, also an opportunity for self-awareness. You know, what we see in addiction, when we live in this back part of our brain, we're not using this higher level of function. We're not dealing with emotion. We're not dealing with situations. We're not dealing with life on life's terms. And that is one of the hardest parts of getting sober and recovery is now you have to deal with life on life's terms. And that can be really, really overwhelming. So the way that art can kind of come into the pictures, 
I see it in two day, two kind of realms. Um, one is art for kind of awareness and um, understanding. And I see one as art for healing. And, you know, so art therapy, any of the expressive therapies, music can be done similarly, dance and movement, any of these kind of ways to tap into and create circulation in your brain in a different way really facilitates recovery and healing. And so working with an art therapist in treatment may help with the art in understanding, kind of understanding our, our, the reason we picked up in the first place, understanding the thoughts and feelings that are happening and how to handle them understanding and uncovering some of the things that our brain protects us from. Maybe that's trauma, maybe that's um, suppressed memories. So because of the way that our brain stores information where we have the left side, which is like the filing cabinet and the right hand side is more of the emotion and experiences. If you don't have the words for the emotion and the experience because it's, there's a separation, how do you really get understanding? So one of the benefits is that creating art, creating imagery around that, putting it on paper allows that person to then gain some understanding, assign words to it. Um, and then they can kind of facilitate some healing around that and some understanding. So that's kind of one element of that. And then um, the other side of that is that art helps kind of um, on, a, on a level, an unconscious level, improve self-esteem, alleviate stress, decrease feelings of depression and anxiety. It's a tool, a management tool. It's one of those tools in my toolbox. I practice art almost on a daily basis. And with my clients, not only do I use art in the sessions to help facilitate understanding, then I send them home with small art activities that they can utilize in their own environment when they're feeling stressed, when those feelings start to come up that we used to numb, when they're feeling overwhelmed, when they need to be present. So, right, so anxiety is worrying about the future, depression is worrying about the past, generally speaking, if you can get help that client to be present and be in the moment, usually they can find, be there until that feeling subsides, generally speaking, right? So art helps that. So I do, uh, I give my clients a lot of different, very much mindfulness-based art activities where they can be present in the moment. Um, and incorporates meditation and stuff like that, which also gives them control, right? So when we are recovering, everything feels really out of control initially. All these feelings are coming at you, all these thoughts, you don't know how to manage it, you've just been numbing it. So this is a tool that that client can utilize that, that allows them to have control. Um, and there's many different ways to do that. But for me, that's the way I think. Art is the way I think, you know, oh, okay, this is going on and let's, let's talk about creating something around that. Let's, um, the other thing is about creating a piece of art is now it's created a memory in a different part of your brain. And it also uh, taps into all those different, the words, the emotion, the experience. And so it stores it in a different way. And so when that client 
is thinking about maybe using a tool. They've now had this tool that they've used and that's been um, kind of taken into the brain in like five different ways, right? So they're more likely to utilize this tool. When we do um, recovery plans, it's all art-based because now they've talked about it. They've created art around it and they have now saved that in a couple different ways, which makes them more likely to utilize it, in my opinion. Um, and also, initially, when you don't know how you're feeling or you don't know what's going on, you can, you can create artwork, which helps decrease that blood pressure, decrease that anxiety, and you don't have to have words. It still works, even if you can't identify it, even if you can't label it. Just creating art just has this, uh, this ability to do that. And so without any understanding, this client can and can have some relief and can have um, and you know be present and have some moments without any insight involved, which is really kind of amazing um, because with talk therapy and different things like that, which those are all really good too. Initially, it feels very overwhelming to be able to identify how you're feeling, what's going on, how all of that feels right. So this is a kind of um, and a very effective tool that doesn't require that. So um, in terms of my, you know, and then it's expressive. It helps to bring in, um, tap into other parts of the, the brain in new ways. It's creating new neural pathways. It's a tool for coping. It's also an opportunity to play, mm -hmm. you know, like, how serious many of us, when I first got sober, I really struggled with like just playing. I was very, very serious because I only knew how to play when I was loaded, really honestly. And so that's another element that kind of allows um, someone have this opportunity to play and make mistakes. You can create art, you can make a mistake, you can tear it up, you can create a new piece of artwork, you can, you know, all of those kinds of things and it's not the end of the world. So we start to see these things that mimic kind of what we need in our real lives, in our day-to-day, -day. Um, ability to express ourselves, ability to connect with um, our own emotion, ability to play, ability to relax and self-soothe. So these are things that kind of are coming up that I utilize art to teach my clients how to do that in their own lives. Nice. That's what I do. <laughs> I do it for myself. <laughs> I think if we don't do it for ourselves first, there's no way we're going to be able to help others do it for themselves as well. So it's, you know, that's, um, it's really interesting to see kind of how we're, we're all blending our things together and how they all just kind of, you know, they're the same, but completely different type, you know what I mean? And, um, I'm coming from a business and a corporate mindset with mine, um, but I still get into the creative. So I use both, like all three really of what Lisa will be getting into, but you know, the corporate world, they're all about analysis and statistics and what are the numbers, but they also want to play. They, you know, I, I have a, um, a weekly reclaim your moxie session where everybody comes and it's a time for them to have, just an hour to do something for themselves during the workday. And I think um, that plays to, to you, Heather, a lot with, while it's not 
artwork, it's, it's something that they can do from them for themselves and play a little bit with it. You know, they can play with the things that we're learning about and that we're engaging about. So um, it's really, uh, this is a really cool conversation. I like it. Mm -hmm. um, with the corporate stuff, I, I, you know, coming out of the certification for recovery, that's where I wanted to go with it, right? Was right into how can I bring recovery coaching and life coaching to the corporate arena? Um, and that has turned into this peer support. It's, it's turned into giving the statistics and helping people understand about addiction awareness and understanding about the stigma and shame. And it's grown not just from addictions, but also the mental health aspect of things because of the pandemic and, and certain things like that. So, um, you know, some, I can throw some statistics out there, which are scary, terrifying, traumatizing. They're, they're just horrible. Um, there's, you know, overall there's 241 addiction related deaths in the United States alone every day. Um, there is a $105 billion price tag in the US um, that is due to substance misuse annually. Um, it's, it's harsh. It's, it's things that people don't even think about when they're in the corporate arena or you know even every day when you're, when you're thinking about things. Um, the things that I tried to bring to light is 95% of people that go into rehab will relapse at some point. Um, because they don't have, they, they come out and they're excited to get back into life. They've got this newfound purpose. They've got this whole life ahead of them now that they didn't have before they went in, but they're going right back into the environment of which they came from. And nobody is giving them tools on how to support a new lifestyle in the same atmosphere. Um, and I think that's where, where us recovery coaches come into play a lot. Um, you know, it's, it's having that person that understands recovery and understands how to put those goals in place, um, and look at those statistics to kind of keep it, keep it real. Um, 70% of illicit users, they work full-time or part-time, you know, they're, most of us are not people that are hanging out under a bridge with a needle in our arm, right? We are the people that are holding jobs down every day. Um, and it's just, it, it's, the pandemic has brought in, I think more than 41% up, up, uptick of that addiction and people being affected by substance use. Um, and so it's just, it, it makes me sad <laughs> to even be talking about these types of numbers. Um, when I was doing my, my presentation to my senior management to, to try and bring a life coaching organization to Oracle, the biggest number for me, and this is globally, um, the economic costs from drugs and alcohol, indirect and directly is $578 billion a year annually. And that is not just people going into rehab. It's, it's these things, you know, it's productivity, it's morale, it's turnover, it's absenteeism, it's something called presenteeism. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of that, but that was me. I was here, but I wasn't, you know, I was putting in the days and, and I was in front of my computer, but I wasn't getting, I was not productive <laughs> at all. Um, and the insurance costs and accidents and theft and healthcare costs and, and 
you know, then you can go into like all sorts of different things that are caused by addiction and abuse. I, I, you know, I, there's somebody in my life that's close to me now that, you know, domestic violence and losing kids and, you know, things that people don't think about the fallout. Um, it's just, it's scary and it's sad. Um, I, I'm part of the construction and engineering global business unit at Oracle. And I've been um, deeply involved with the construction industry with mental health awareness at this point. Um, and the suicide level of overdosing and just taking one's life um, due to depression and other things that have to do with addiction and substance use is incredible. Um, I forget what the number is, but it's so it's upwards of there were like 1100 deaths in 2018 due to accidents in the construction industry, and there were 5188 deaths due to suicide and overdose. So um, those numbers are are incredible. So we're trying to bring that peer support into um the job sites into the companies and, and into the corporate arena so we can bring that awareness and get those those numbers down. Um, and that's what I'm trying to do with my programs at Oracle as well is, you know, having these weekly sessions um, for Reclaim Your Moxie, we, we, we run the gamut of whether it's addiction awareness um, and we have like monthly umbrella sessions of, of, you know, a subject area. And then we have the weekly activities, which I think, you know, falls onto Heather a little bit with um, understanding, you know, how to dig deep, but to do an activity and actually think about it. And sometimes it's visualizing that and drawing it out. Um, other times it's, it's a spreadsheet that I put together for people to kind of go through and you know, they can, they can redo and redo and redo and, and those types of things. So, um, you know, it's prevalent. It's, and I know that the reason why I brought it into the corporate arena and why I'm so passionate about peer support at this point is because if I'm, if I'm going through this, how many other of my coworkers and employees and, you know, management are going through the same thing? You know, whether it be worse or not as bad, it's all relative to all of us. But to have that support in a corporate atmosphere is so important at this point. And that's that's where I'm trying to bring that in and that awareness and, and that voice. Mm -hmm. So, so that's amazing, Dana. That's, you know, that's the education, but also, as you touched on, like the tools of like, so then how do you move forward from here? So like the awareness and then let's talk about what we can do to start shifting the mindset, yep. you know? So it's incredible what you're doing there. No, thank you. I think the education portion on yeah. probably any of our um, little realms that we focus on, I think in recovery, education is the best thing that you can possibly do, whether you're going through recovery or you know someone else. Because for me, like I'd mentioned, if I would have known physically what was happening in my mom's brain, because I was the daughter that was like, I don't, I don't get it. Why is that this hard? Like, why do you have to do this? Why this? Why can't you do this? And she literally did not have the ability in her brain to do that. 
if I would have known that back then, my support for her would have been completely different. Um, but I viewed it as she just didn't care. She didn't care about her life, my life, you know, the whole nine when that wasn't the case at all. And I think that's a big part of modifying any habit is knowing why am I doing this in the first place? Like what's going on? You like, you need to go deeper and figure out why. And that comes through education. That's a lot of what I do with people um, that I work with. We take a very holistic approach um, to sobriety or those that are interested in living a sober lifestyle. Um, clients that come to me come from all different, you know, they're some are full on like, yeah, I'm ready to let go of alcohol or whatever it is. And um, some are like, I'm curious. So then we start with the education. So, and everyone, everyone that comes to me, I, you know, everyone's individual. So some people are white knuckling it. So we're not focusing on, um, we're not focusing on modifying diet completely and making a massive change to their whole lifestyle, you know, whereas then other, some others have come to me and they're so sure that they want to live a sober life. And so I meet them where they're at and we, and then we go from there. But basically what I do is we, uh, it's holistic in that we, um, focus on a shift in mindset, but then we also focus half of our sessions on supporting the body nutritionally. So, um, you know, changing the way that you're thinking, getting deep into the whys. And is that really true? Why are you drinking? You know, really, really digging deep and doing all that self-awareness, but then more education. And I ask a lot of questions on lifestyle, like what's going on with you? How are you? What are your bigger, what are your issues? What are your kind of symptoms, right? What's going on? Is it sleep? Which often it is, you know, some people especially find at the beginning of sobriety, they're exhausted um so 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 tired and they're like i don't know why what's going on well think of it your body is working so hard so hard to recover every single cell in your body is going i got a chance now you know <laughs> i i can do my job properly so it's of course it's tiring and when you think of it all the work that you're doing all the self-awareness that's taxing emotionally right and that's going to take a drain on your body so when we work together we go through all these things but then you know we also some people want just accountability to just go it's okay or or um uh what's the word i'm looking for sort of the um they want to hear from someone else it's okay to rest when you're tired you know, it's okay to take care of yourself. It is okay to shut your eyes in the afternoon for 20 minutes, even on a busy day. Your body needs it and you're gonna come back so much more refreshed. So a lot of what we deal with, and this is what I'm gonna focus on today, are sort of the physical sort of symptoms that come up. Tiredness, thirst is a huge one that comes up. So people, so many people are saying, I am so thirsty all the time. I have water beside me all the time. I still do, it's, it's a habit now. Um, but it just, you're, you're flushing all those toxins out of your body. And in, at the beginning, it's actually really, really, really important to drink as much as you possibly can. Um, you know, alcohol has just been depleting you of all of your, all of your, um, all of your hydration. So it's important to refill that. So, um, and another one that comes up and this has to do a lot with, uh, cravings is, you know, some people find sort of mid afternoon, um, you know, that's when their triggers come in. That's when 
you know, the, the HALT acronym, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, or those things come. For me, it was, I wanted to escape, or either there was boredom coming in, I just wanted to numb out. So it's like, how do we work with that? And also educating them on the fact that there's something chemical going on with your body. And we've all talked about the dopamine today. There is actually something chemically going on. We are looking for that dopamine rush. Um, we're looking for that rush. And oftentimes we will reach for things when we can't reach for alcohol or we're trying to decrease or eliminate it. Um, we'll reach for things like sugar or carbs. So this is a big one that comes up when I work with clients is sometimes if you're not careful, you could end up trading one addiction for another. You know, the sugar addiction is real because we know that you drink, you have sugar or carbs in your body. It's going to get absorbed. The sugar is going to get absorbed into your bloodstream right away. Your dopamine levels are going to rise. Your brain knows this. It's like, this is why you crave it. So it's not just, it's not just, oh, you know, some of my triggers are coming in. It's the end of the day. I'm feeling a little bit tired. We know what's going to fix it. Our brain is smart. We know that we're going to get a dopamine rush from those sugars. So a lot of what I do with clients is help them find um, sort of the healthier alternatives, come up with things that they like to eat, you know, um, that maybe have a little bit of something in it that gives them a little bit of a lift. One of my go-tos I absolutely loved when, when especially at the beginning of sobriety was like a trail mix snack, but with a few chocolate chips in there, you know, like just things like that. So it's not just completely pulling out and taking away. It's like, how are we going to, make you feel like you're not totally deprived, you know, like, oh, I got to give up, I got to give up, I got to give up. At the beginning, yes, it's difficult. But then the idea is that we're slowly shifting, right? We're slowly shifting away from alcohol and we're slowly shifting back into um, better for you options. And that is not something that's done overnight. So a lot of what we do when we work together is very, very slow changes at the start so that you're not feeling overwhelmed and dealing with those real things. So what's going on with your body? Um, you know, where can we help fill, help, help fill some gaps? Another thing I wanted to talk about just quickly here is um, when we're drinking, we are completely depleting our body of nutrients. We are, it's a diuretic, right? So we're just peeing it all out, i.e. B vitamins, the ones that help you deal with stress. You know, so it's, uh, this is like a circular problem here where we don't have our B vitamins, we're, we're peeing them out, they're not being absorbed, we feel stressed, we want alcohol, like it just, it keeps, it's just like a circular thing. So um, I'm not a fan of supplementing until you've cleaned up your, your digestive system because sometimes it can be a waste of money because your body is not bioavailable. So you're not absorbing those nutrients properly. You got to get the digestive system working properly. So that's something that we work on right at the start. Um, alcohol, it's a GI irritant. You have been messing with your biome, your microbiome. Um, there's a lot of work that we're going to have to do, nutritionally speaking, to help clean up your system before we start supplementing. Um, so B vitamins are something that we usually work on a little bit later into our work together. One thing I do emphasize right at the beginning is C vitamins, well, they have all the antioxidants really, but vitamin C is one of the easiest to get. Um, we have been depleting our immune system as well. 80% uh, of your immune system resides in your gut. So, and not only that, when you, when you drink, you are suppressing your immune system. So it's, it's not, you know, it's not that you're, um, 
It's not that your drinking caused you to get sick, but you have basically halted your immune system, your, your immune system's ability to function until you have processed all that alcohol. So um, 24 hours after drinking, that's when you're more likely to get sick because everything is just sort of halted. Um, same with your liver. Your liver has about 500 different jobs to do, and it puts all those jobs on hold until it um, focuses on getting that toxin out of your body. So it can't produce bile, you know? Um, it can't help us metabolize our fats, our proteins, our carbs. Um, it can't do all those jobs uh, that, it, that it needs to do. It stops and the number one priority becomes let's get that toxin out of the body. So you're literally, when you're drinking, you're impeding your organs, you know, your whole body's ability to do its job. Um, you're paralyzing your immune system. So that's why you get those vitamin C in there. Vitamin C is also a safe vitamin in that it's water soluble, not fat soluble. So it's not going to get stored in your body. Um, if you have too much vitamin C, it's, you're just going to pee it out. So you don't have to worry about that. You kind of can't go wrong with it. So, um, so those are some certain things. I mean, again, every client that I work with is individual. Every single time I work with somebody, whether it's through recovery coaching or just 100% nutrition consultations, uh, everyone's different. And I meet them where they're at and, and support their body because we all do amazing work supporting our minds, supporting our minds. But it's, you, we got to focus on um, giving your body a fighting chance too. And then once you feel a shift in your body, it can help your mind, like it's all connected, right? And I think we've all talked about that in all of our different areas um, that we worked in, work in as recovery coaches. It's a, it's mind-body connection, right? So that's where I come out with my clients. Lisa, I have a question for you. <laughs> so I remember when I quit drinking, I, looking back, unconsciously treated one addiction for another that was when I started nutrition and fitness okay um I remember someone telling me that alcohol will shut down fat burning up to like anywhere from like 16 to 36 hours mm. when you consume alcohol your body is so focused like you said on getting rid of the toxin that you literally quit burning fat mm. And yeah. I didn't know if you, it's true. I, I mean, when she told me that I was like, eh, Oh God. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, and that's a thing, you know, you could be doing all the right things. You could be working out. You could be eating so well, you can do all these things, but if you're still putting alcohol, you're putting a toxin into your body. Yeah. You're impeding your body's ability to do this job. You're impeding, you're screwing up all this hard work that you're doing. Great that you're doing it. And so awesome that you already have that habit in there. But imagine mm -hmm. how much more your body would get out of it if you didn't have the alcohol in there, right? How much more you would get out of your workouts, how much more that nutrients was, that would was absorb. Me. Like I worked out all the time. I ate not horrible, but I didn't eat stellar. Yeah. Um, but then just cutting out alcohol. I mean, it was unreal yeah. how different my body felt, energy, sleep, like the whole line, like my body actually started to function the way that it should have. And, and it shuts down all of your metabolic pathways. So it's focusing solely on metabolizing alcohol and everything else 
is like you said, put on hold, like years of doing that. I mean, yeah, it's, and I think a big thing, you know, I don't think my body felt great Mm -hmm. until three years after I quit drinking, Mm -hmm. but I, but I had to put that in perspective. I had trashed my body for so long that you can't automatically think that you quit drinking for 30 days and you're back on track. Like your body has to take a long time to get all that stable. Yeah. There's a lot of healing that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. A lot of healing that needs to be done. And that, and I, I, when I work with people, when, you know, they come to me and maybe their goal is weight loss, even something like that. It's like, and they, they want it to happen quickly, but I always educate, like talk to them about the fact that think of how many years it took you to put on the weight. You know, it's, mm-hmm. we're, and, and we're, we're modifying habits. That stuff doesn't change overnight. And it's also been shown that if you try and change too many things at once and don't start slow, that's not sustainable. You're supposed to start with the smallest thing, smallest little yeah. thing, and then build from there. Right. So, yeah. So. Awesome. Anything Great else? Conversation. That was a good I conversation. Agree. I learned, I always learn from all of you every single time we have these podcasts, you know, even just writing that, that book that you mentioned, Meredith, you know, and Mm -hmm. everything. I always get something out of everybody. It's, it's very motivating. So thank you all so much. Yes, I agree. I agree. All right, ladies, until next week. Yes. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us today. We appreciate you and wish you the best on your sober adventures. For more information and details on upcoming episodes, check us out on YouTube or Instagram at four sober chicks. That's number four sober chicks. We welcome your feedback and look forward to being with you on the next episode.